Welcome and thanks for tuning in to our podcast. My name is Donovan, my wife Jessica and I are the lead pastors here at Destiny Church Praha. We know that today's message will bless and encourage you because the Bible tells us that the Word of God is alive and active. If you want to connect in with us, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, follow us on social media or visit our website at destinypraha.com. Let's get into the Word. I'm excited to get into the Word this morning. This has been something that's been on my heart for a long, long time, and I've spent a great deal of time in the Word this week around this topic of forgiveness because it goes so deep. It goes really so deep. And you know, this morning as we're singing, and we're singing about how good God is, you realize that the Word of God is very clear, and it's beautiful around how Jesus came to forgive us of sin and to reconcile us back to the Father. But this morning, we're going to be looking a little bit deeper at this, the day-to-day stuff, the transactional relationship stuff that happens within the body. And just to recap very quickly, we've been in this Found in the Fellowship series um, that's just been on our heart, really, is how do we do fellowship according to the Word of God? How do we do life together as the body of Christ? And Jessica's just, um, again, I just want to commend my wife. We had a child six weeks ago. Um, she's just cruising through, and she's ministered the last two weeks, and um, God's grace is just heavy on our family for the moment, um, in general, and always, sorry. Uh, But when we talk about fellowship, we talked about the active participation that we're called to as uh, the fellowship of believers. Uh, We looked at being uh, quick to forgive each other. We looked at various things in the body of Christ that were quite clear from how they did early church, as to how we're supposed to interact and do life on a daily basis. Because the church of God was never designed for you to meet your Savior and then to live out your days in isolation. We are better together, I think, was a phrase that Jess coined. And it's important for all of us to pursue fellowship together. You see, in the early days in Acts, it says they lacked in nothing. They shared in everything. And it even went as far as sharing property and Salina. It was crazy. It was crazy times, right? It was a beautiful time. But you roll the clock forward 2,000 years, and we live in a very different societal context, where, to be quite frank, and I'm going to offend probably most of the Gen Z uh, population this morning in the church, but we've become a very selfish generation. Everything is about us, what we can do, what we can leverage, how we can get the upper hand, how we can get ahead. And to be quite frank, When you look at fellowship, true fellowship in the Word of God, when you look at even the topic of forgiveness, which we'll get into now, you realize that it's less about us. Actually, it's got zero to do with us. And it's got a lot to do with your fellow brother or sister in the body of Christ. So as we minister today from the Word, I trust and I pray that you just receive it with an open heart. And I want you to keep this context in mind, and it's this. Is how I do life today... Biblically in line with what I see in the Word of God. And this is really what I want to get to. We live in a time where we offend each other hourly. You cannot have a topic about gender or race or war or what happens in the workplace without offending each other. And we find this worldly culture and dynamic coming into the church. We find it coming into the church where 
I mean, I just, I laugh because I think we're at something like 23 different nationalities or 25 different nationalities in this church. I mean, I probably offended most of the vegans in this church over and over because as a South African, it's like, I'm vegan if I, if I don't have, you know, two courses of meat on my plate for breakfast. But I'm dead serious. But this is the type of thing that we, we battle through. And we live in a time where we're offending one another on the daily. And the reason why I, I was so desperate to get to this word this morning is because I think we need a bit of a sense check. We need a bit of a reality check in terms of how we do relationship one-to-one with one another. And I particularly wanted to look on the topic of forgiveness this morning because in the last couple of months, just in being in the body and talking to people and just getting to know people and looking at what the Word of God says on the topic of forgiveness, I think we have a very skewed view on how relationships should be working in the church. And we use terms like forgiveness very loosely. We never talk about the word repentance. And these are some of the things that when you take them out of fellowship, we start to offend, and the enemy uses that to bring division in the body. You with me? And we don't want to give him that luxury, because his tricks are old, And the Bible is clear. And I feel on my heart this morning that God's calling us to a higher place. Right? And the reason why I think this is so powerful this morning is because we need to get, we need to get out of this thing. And I feel God's calling us to a higher place with one another in the church, not just this body, but in the general body. I want to start with this proverb. Now, you know, when Don starts in Psalms or Proverbs that there's trouble this morning. I'm going to drop the hammer. Proverbs 6, this is not the scripture we'll sit in this morning, but I'm going to start with this. Proverbs 6, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. This is in English. I'd love to see what it really looks like in the the native language. Let's go through this quick list. Haughty eyes, right? Haughty means if you feel yourself bigger than you ought, above your brother and your sister. Haughty eyes. He hates a lying tongue. He hates hands that shed innocent blood, as should you. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies, and wait for it, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. These are the six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, one of them being a person that stirs up conflict in the community. You see, fellowship was designed and orchestrated by God, and it's something that's so dear to his heart because that's his bride. It's what he manifested himself as a man for and went to the cross for, and he hates when the community is being divided. You see, we're accountable to one another, and I'm not going to go through Scripture. I want to get through this very quickly. The Word of God says we're one body, many parts. We went through this in the last two weeks. Therefore, if one part of the body is suffering, the whole body suffers. Ephesians 4, 2-3, it says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond um, of peace. The framework for fellowship, the framework for doing church together, should be cultivating a community that is in unity, a community that is in peace with one another through the bond of, of um, 
unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, right? You hear what I'm saying? When we come together, there is an obligation on us as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus to, in a sense, I believe God calling us to a higher place to think about how am I stewarding relationship with my brother and my sister? Now, why is this important? Because in a culture of self, 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 right, when I'm not considering Audrey and I'm not considering Abel or success and it becomes about me, I can very quickly stir up conflict. I can very quickly rush into evil. I can very quickly pour out lives, lies. Sorry, I can very quickly put myself above my brother and my sister, haughty eyes. I can very quickly do things that are counterfeit or contrary, rather, to the way God expects me to act as a fellow brother and sister in fellowship. And if I desire to maintain unity and peace, then I need to get out of my selfish ways and consider my brother and my sister. Amen. Do not judge. Be slow to anger. The Lord is slow to anger. Quick to listen. Do not bear a grudge. Do not seek vengeance. Vengeance. Bear in one another's burdens. All things that I've just quickly picked out of the scriptures. Jess and I have been doing church for probably about 20 years. And I can tell you now, we've offended almost everybody. And sometimes it's good. <laughs> sometimes it's not so good. The truth is, when I look over this group of people, the likelihood is good that each of you have offended one another in some way. Right? But what keeps us here? What keeps us pushing forward? And you know, offense is inevitable, I think, amongst people. If you just take it at a cultural level, at a personal level, offense is inevitable. But Christ is calling us to be above the offense. He's calling us to discern the offense. He's calling us to promote unity and peace in the body. We are uniquely and perfectly designed by our maker. We are so different in so many ways. We care for different things. We're passionate about different things. It's all part of his beautiful design. In fellowship, even in fellowship, even by his spirit, he's given us different gifts. I need to recognize the gifting in Audrey and Nicole and Abel. Not to be envious of those things, but to understand that his design is for all of those things to work together to edify the body, right? To serve one another in the body, which means when Abel's a great guitar player, I don't go and go, oh my gosh, I wish I could play guitar like him. I'm so envious of him. Oh, I actually detest the way he plays guitar. Oh, look how arrogant he is because he's so skilled. That's not a framework for how to do fellowship, Right? Offense brings disunity. It brings division. And it can be as simple as the tone of your voice. It can be as simple as rolling your eyes. Those who are married, you know what that looks like. It could be as simple... I'm just kidding, my wife. We never offend each other. It could be as simple as misinterpreting a text. You know, I was thinking about this this morning. I love it. Because when you look at forgiveness and repentance, we'll get into that now. I just think about how it must have been 2,000 years ago. And, you know, we all think we're very smart with our technology, but I, I'm sure the enemy 2,000 years ago said, well, I'm going to give them this digital technology called a cell phone and completely skew interpretation for them, and let's see how the church works out then. You hear what I'm saying? 
I can tell you now, 70% of what Jess and I have to deal with in a week is because people do not know how to read a text or deliver a message. When I started in the workplace, I was taught this. The message perceived by the reader is very different sometimes to the message written by the author. (laughs) Okay, I don't want to harp on that. It can be as simple, an offense can be as simple as a political view on Facebook. An offense could even come through the truth. God showed me this this morning. Offense could come through the truth. Abel, I love you. And because I love you, the word of God says, this is what you need to do with your finances. I believe with all my heart that it says bring a tenth. When you're not bringing a tenth, I believe you're in a misalignment with the word. And because I love you and in fellowship, I want you to live in the abundance that God has for you. Oh, what right does Donovan have to talk to me about my finances? And he takes offense. Sometimes the truth can even bring offense. We need to be discerning as a body. I believe that the discipline of looking at offense and dealing with offense needs to come through a filtering of your emotions through Jesus. You have to wear the lens of Jesus. If you want to look at anyone that was offended, up until when they hung him on a cross and pierced his side and put a thorn of crowns on him, and, 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 he still sowed hope to the criminal next to him. He still forgave in that moment. When offense, when I receive offense, or I take offense rather, because sometimes the, the perpetrator doesn't even know that they're dishing out offense, right? But when I receive offense, I believe it's my responsibility in fellowship by protecting unity and the bond of peace in the spirit to go, is that really that person's heart towards me? Or is, is that just being filtered through my emotions now? I'm tired? Because sometimes we walk away from that going, oh man, wow, I just, I carry unforgiveness towards this person. And then when you look at the word of God and how serious the topic of forgiveness actually is, I feel that we use it so loosely and we actually diminish its power because true forgiveness is what happened on the cross. And if we diminish forgiveness just to the place of, oh, I've received an offense because emotionally I'm in a bad place today, I feel that we're taking away its power. We need to filter our day-to-day transactional relational stuff through the lens of Jesus. And if each of us are striving towards protecting unity and peace in the body, we should be quick to forgive each other. We're going to get into the power of forgiveness this morning, but I just want to use this um, quick analogy. When I was looking into this heavily this week, and I just took my marriage, and Jess and I by no means are any model couple. We're just a regular bunch of folks trying to survive every day. Um, But we offend each other in marriage all the time. Are we the only ones? No? You guys as well? It's funny how that happens. Relationships. And in looking at forgiveness, and in the context of how much I love my wife, I am so quick to repent when I've done something wrong. And I, I'm, I'm trying to be better at this as a man, let me be honest with you. But in that context, in that safe place, when you can be so vulnerable with each other, so real with each other, and she'll be the first one to tell you, you've offended me, you've hurt me, I felt this way when you did that. 
and you very quickly get into this either defensive mode or you get into a place where you go like, wow, I really didn't mean that. I, I love you. Why would I want to hurt you? And you find that in that context of coming together and trying to reconcile the offense, it builds the relationship, right? So offense is inevitable, but it's an opportunity this morning. Guys, it's an opportunity this morning. And you'll find in marriage, when you're talking and you're communicating, whether it's just talking about some stuff that's that's hurting you or stuff that you're just dreaming about and just loving. There's this thing that builds. And the framework for forgiveness that we're going to go into now and the, 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 the counter transaction to forgiveness is repentance. That framework designed by God in the body of Christ is designed to build relationship. God has given us tools to strengthen the body. But when we walk away and we carry unforgiveness and we don't address conflict, and we don't look at what the Word of God says about forgiveness or repentance, and we go get into those postures, what happens? Things start to fester in our lives, and the enemy starts to bring division in the body. And I'm trying to give you this high-level helicopter view, because I believe for each of us, God's calling us higher this morning, and there's a responsibility on us to filter things through the eyes of Jesus this morning when we deal with each other in a day-to-day. Are you with me? Okay. The power of forgiveness is a powerful mechanism to deal with one another. God can develop our emotional and social intelligence to deal with one another in the body. He gives us a framework of forgiveness, which we're going to get to in a moment, which I believe, if I read it in the Word of God, and I, I've studied it hard this week, is actually for serious offense. The framework of forgiveness, according to our how I've seen it in the Word of God, is for serious offense. Let me get into some scriptures and then we'll, we'll tear that apart. Ephesians 4.31 Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13, burying with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Mark 11.25, and whenever you stand praying, this is my favorite one, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, also who is heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. He is calling us to forgive, right? He's calling us to be in a posture of forgiving those where we've received offense or those that have trespassed against us. And actually, the word of God is quite clear on, until you've forgiven your brother and your sister, right? It says, God forgives when you forgive. And you can go look at parables about the master and the servant, right? When the servant had debts, I don't want to go into that, and the master cleared all of his debts, Jesus came to die for you. He wiped your, your sins are as far as the east is from the west, right? As white as snow. He expects us to be in a posture of forgiveness to one another. Mark 6.12, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. That's the Lord's prayer. Lord, forgive us, forgive me as I have also forgiven. Look, I'm no scientist, but that means equationally, if I haven't forgiven... He can't forgive, right? 
I don't want to unpack that too much today, but I'm just getting you to think about this. Matthew 18, 21 to 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Question mark. As many as seven times, Lord? Jesus said to him, I did not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. And we're going to read the passage in Luke in a little bit. Jesus wants us to be in a posture of forgiveness. He wants to have unity and peace in the body because that's what he died for. He is the ultimate forgiver in that. We're going to bring up Luke 17 very quickly. If we can do that, the scripture. I want to start here this morning. And then we're going to look at what forgiveness actually meant in the context of the day. So Luke 17, entitled Sin, Faith, Duty. I believe it is on the screen behind me. Yes. From verse 1, Jesus said to his disciples, (laughs) guys, if this doesn't offend you, this is Jesus. This is Jesus' words. I always try and do that because then you know it's not me speaking. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Surprise, surprise. In the body of Christ, things that will cause us to stumble, things that will cause us to have discord, or contention between each other, will come. And I'm sure you can read it. But woe to anyone through whom they come. Woe. This is, a, this, is a, um, this is Jesus bringing to attention the importance of stewarding healthy fellowship. Woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a milestone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And by little ones, he means believers. That's quite an intense analogy. Jesus, again, in verse 3, love his words, so watch yourselves. Can you imagine Jesus, the Messiah, just absolutely rebuking and disciplining his disciples? So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. Basically, that means deal with the situation. Address the conflict. Address the offense. And if they repent, forgive them. So there's a transaction. Right? Deal with the issue. If they repent, there's grounds for forgiveness. Verse 4, even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times they come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Come on, guys. You know, the funny thing is that I'm going to give you a little bit of fact in a moment. The funny thing is when Peter comes to Jesus and says, as much as seven times, Lord, Peter thought he was being very clever. Because actually under Jewish law, you've got three attempts to repent. Right? By Jewish law, actually in the time, if I come to Nate and I repent of something that I've done wrong to you three times, and you do not forgive me, and I've really repented, really repented, we'll get into that now, then technically the offense goes back to you. That's Jewish law. So when Peter comes to Jesus and says, as much as seven times, Peter was being clever. He's like, oh, should I go over and above the law to forgive my brother? And Jesus says, as much as 70 times seven in this passage. And it's not about the number. It's got nothing to do with the number that Jesus mentions. It's about the posture of forgiveness towards a brother. But I love what Jesus says here, and he's so clear. If your brother repents, forgive him. I'm going to read something very quickly. Um, 
Maybe we can just bring up the next slide. But I'm going to read something before we get there. It's important to look at the culture of the time. Because I think we've made forgiveness petty. Excuse my language. I don't want to... I don't want to put words in people's mouth, but we've made it something so small. We throw it around and talk about it like it's nothing. We've often probably used it as having the upper hand. That person should forgive me. Or they should apologize, which is completely, completely the wrong way that forgiveness was looked at in the Word of God. Judaism teaches that the practice of forgiveness was divinely designed from the very outset of creation. Listen to this. Thus, the reason why God deliberately created us imperfect is because through the process of sin and reconciliation, both the forgiver and the forgiven can experience tremendous personal and religious growth. Forgiveness and repentance was designed to build the body and to build relationship. According to the Jewish law, a person was not expected to forgive unless um, unless he undergoes a sincere effort to perform what they called teshuva. Teshuva meaning repentance or return. The elements of teshuva included rigorous self-examination and required the perpetrator, the offender, to engage with the victim by confessing, expressing regret, and making every effort possible to right the wrong that was committed. Forgiveness was a serious topic. And you know what I spent most of my week researching, trying to look into, trying to study the Word of God? This was the question on my heart. What if the person that I'm seeking forgiveness from has no idea that I've, that I've been offended? I'm going to say that again. What if the very person that I'm seeking forgiveness uh, or that I will give forgiveness to, or I'm expecting, expecting an apology from, what if they don't know that they've wronged me? Because <laughs> the truth is, that's what we deal with in the church. I speak to people all the time that say, oh man, I'm just battling to forgive that person. And in my mind, I'm going, do they even know that they did anything wrong? Have you ever spoken to them? Have you ever said, this is, I was just very sensitive that day and I've been offended by you? Because if you look at the Word of God where it says standing together in prayer, when you stand together in prayer, forgive. Protect unity and peace in the body, right? We should be quick to forgive the small offenses when I read the Word of God. But forgiveness in this framework from a Jewish perspective in the time of the day was for very serious offense. And I read a lot of stuff about rabbis posting about some intense topics, the Holocaust, right? And forgiveness in that area. I've looked at at scenarios where they talked about an abused woman in a marriage. How, how does forgiveness play out in that situation? And there was nothing that I could find, and maybe I didn't do my homework well enough, that could deal with the petty offenses, and I'm saying this loosely, but also very strongly, that we have in the body on a day-to-day -day basis. Because I believe that if we steward fellowship as believers, the petty stuff should be quick to forgive. We should be quick to move over those things. And the framework of forgiveness here is to deal with very serious offense in the Word of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? Happy for anybody to come talk to me about this afterwards if you feel otherwise. 
I've summarized a lot of research this week into three simple points for you. And then we're going to... Sorry, it's the other slide. If you could just bring up the other slide, please, that deals with the three types of forgiveness. Yeah, let's start with this one. If you look at the natural language text used, and I'm going to be quick now. I know we're, we're running out of time. There were three types of forgiveness when you look at original custom in the day. The first one, very simple, is called mechliah. This is the basic type of forgiveness, right? The most basic type of forgiveness, if the offender has done teshua, if the actual offender has undergone rigorous self-examination, right, and is sincere in his or her repentance, the offended person should offer mechliah. The offended person should forego the debt of the offender, relinquish his or her claim against the offender. This is important because when you, when you deal with real forgiveness and real matters in the body of Christ and you exercise michlia and the offender undergoes a rigorous self-examination, turns 180 degrees and comes in repentance, as we read in Luke in a moment, there was an expectation that there would be forgiveness. And the idea behind the transaction of forgiveness and repentance is because both parties cared about restoring relationship for the sake of fellowship, right? And when you look at it from that lens, that very quickly changes the way I talk about forgiveness. Because now I'm not seeking an apology. I'm not seeking an apology from Nate for something that he might or might know that he did wrong. In fact, I'm going to go to Nate and be like, man, for the sake of fellowship, for the sake of maintaining unity and peace in the body, for the sake of relationship, because I love you, because I know that God can build our relationship and pour abundance into it, and we could do things together in this city that no one else could do. For that sake, let's deal with this thing right now. And Nate goes, oh, man, I didn't even know. I'm so sorry. I was having a down day. You know what? I'm gonna, I repent, man. I repent, and forgiveness is given, and that relationship is built up, right? This is the framework that God has given us. Amen? Second point. The second type of forgiveness in the Word of God is Selikia. I'm not even saying that right. I love this because I want you to understand God's heart towards this topic. It's an act of the heart. It is reaching a deeper understanding of the sinner, the one that is offending. It is achieving an empathy for the troubledness of the other. Selikia 2 is not a reconciliation. So I want to be clear on this. Both are not reconciliation, right? Which means that when repentance happens and forgiveness is given, it doesn't mean that the other person doesn't undergo the consequences of the offense, right? Forgiveness and repentance is a separate dimension to the consequences outworking of the offense, And neither of these is actually about making, let me give you an example. If someone's abused you all your life, right, and they repent 180 degrees, and by the grace of God, we come to a place of full repentance and full forgiveness, do you think that relationship is ever going to be completely whole? Maybe, by the grace of God, but it's unlikely. 
And in the custom of the day, it was okay to then walk away from each other. Once forgiveness and repentance was there, the relationship was restored, there was reconciliation, you could walk away. It's fine. We don't need to be BFFs. Our kids don't need to play together tomorrow. Right? It's simply reaching the conclusion in this second point that the offender too is human, is frail, and deserving of sympathy. You see, forgiveness is about you and me. It's got nothing to do with how I feel. It's about you. It's about making sure that this is okay. And God designed it that way. And I know each of you are probably looking at your own personal situations and going, oh man, maybe there's some stuff I actually need to be dealing with. Maybe I've been carrying some unforgiveness in my heart when actually it's really not unforgiveness. God wants me to deal with this thing so that I can restore relationship, right? To bring to conclusion something that I've been holding that's probably been weighing me down for some time. Forgiveness is not to make you feel better about yourself. There are scientific studies that forgiving has positive whatever attached to it, but that's not the framework that God gives it. It's for the body. It's to restore fellowship. The third kind of forgiveness, and how beautiful is this, is the word kapara, atonement. Check this out, or purification. This is the total wiping away of sinfulness. It is the existential cleansing. Kapara is the ultimate form of forgiveness, but is only granted by God. No human can atone for the sin of another. So what is forgiveness, guys? And we can go on to my slides. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a tool between two parties which, which wish to rectify and strengthen their relationship. This is forgiveness. This is important for us as a body, as we move forward, as we grow. The bigger we become, the more difficult it is to have really deep relationships, the more complex it becomes to navigate day to day, and very quickly, the enemy, in his boring old, same old tricks, will sow division in the body. And then we wonder why the church of God stays at 40 people. Sorry, not the church of God, the local church stays at 40 people and can't grow. And the truth is, it's because we don't actually have sympathy towards one another. We don't necessarily understand the framework, the expectation through fellowship to one another. Forgiveness is not about getting the upper hand on an apology. Forgiveness is not about you owe me something. Forgiveness is not about me lording over you and I'm a better person than you are. That is not forgiveness. It's exactly the opposite. Forgiveness is man. I just want us to experience the fullness of God in our relationship. So let's just get this thing out the way for the sake of love. Forgiveness does not negate consequence. We can find, Steph and I can find forgiveness between one another. I can come in full repentance to Steph and say, man, I wronged you. You know, but if I reversed over his dog, as an example, and that offended him, I want to make light of this. It doesn't negate the fact that I need to walk out something quite severe, right? Stupid example, sorry. It does not negate consequence. Why do I say this? Because when you actually go look and you study the topic of forgiveness in the original custom, they're actually dealing with really intense stuff that gets legal. Murder, sexual offenses, abuse, really, really hard stuff. The perpetrator still needs to work out context, still needs to work out the consequence. Forgiveness requires a deep understanding of the offense. 
I'm going to say that again. True forgiveness needs repentance. You can't repent of something you don't know you've done wrong. Right? I'm going to say that again. You can't repent of something you, know you haven't done wrong. Unless you're God. This is why I'm saying the power of forgiveness is so intense. Because only Jesus forgave when we weren't repentant. That's why when you read Romans 5, it says, while we were still sinners. That's why I get so passionate about when we say, I hold unforgiveness. No, you don't. You're emotional. Sort your stuff out. I'm saying this in love, people. Because we need to get past our minds and our hearts and the framework that we've created in today's society, which is offend each other because it's trendy. Let's try and offend. Let's try and be controversial because we're going to get some more likes on our Instagram page. That is countercultural to biblical fellowship. Forgiveness requires deep understanding of the offense at hand and the wrongs committed. It involves deep introspection. Sometimes it means the person that's offended needs to go away. They need to go away and they need to really think about what they've done. And in the context of the time, they'd have to come back probably with a six-point plan of how they've turned their life around. Let me tell you, it could be something as simple as when I have two drinks, I get offensive or I don't know how to talk to my wife. And if there's offense taken and there's true repentance of that thing in your life, that means you'd likely have to go away and say, alcohol is a root problem in my life. How do I deal with it? While I love my wife and I, I promote unity and blessing in the relationship and even as far as in the fellowship of the church, therefore, alcohol is no good. I cut it out of my life. I turn 180 degrees from it. And in most cases, you'd probably have to prove that you actually walked out what you say the, re the repentance is. It involves deep introspection. Forgiveness requires a repentant heart. You know, when studying this, <laughs> this is funny. No, it's not funny, but it's quite interesting. When there isn't true repentance and forgiveness was given, actually in the custom, they believed that it was callous. It was reckless. It was reckless to forgive when there wasn't true repentance. Because if I honestly care about Nate, and I honestly want to rectify the situation then I want to see him turn from the very thing that's not in according to the word of God. I want him to see him to get his finances in order, right? I want that for him because I love him. But when I'm exercising forgiveness towards a situation when there hasn't been real repentance, it's callous. What is, what is that doing any good to that individual? What is it doing any good to the body if we don't actually see full restoration and reconciliation and a complete return Back to things of God. Are you with me this morning? This is, this is some deep stuff. But in all things, the word is clear that we should strive towards forgiveness. Why? Because Christ forgave. It should be a priority in our lives to seek out forgiveness with our brother and our sister. Why? Because he gave. He forgave. He did it first. First. 